have your Bible with you today. I'd like you to open with me to the New Testament book of John. We'll be in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 and read just a, a few verses. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now today I want us to look a little bit about uh, Jesus, and in particular we're going to see in the, uh, the prologue to his Gospel, Jesus clearly identifies Jesus as God. Now, if you're here last week, you may remember that we looked at the doctrine of the Trinity, and we're going to do that for a couple weeks. And we're not doing it for some sort of scholastic knowledge. Of course, it's, it's handy to have those things in your pocket if you're ever playing Bible trivia or something like that. But, uh, but instead, we're, going to, we're looking at this to help us to know God better. Because the better we know God, the better we can understand Him and, and what He's doing in this world, um, the better we can worship Him. Because we can understand uh, Him and His work at a deeper level. So uh, what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at uh, some verses today and, and probably next week. And, and you'll remember last week we saw that the Bible was very clear that there's only one true God. Hopefully you remember that, that the Bible teaches the big word is monotheism, that there's one true God. And we looked at Isaiah 43 and we saw that uh, in, in regards to the one true God, there is no God before him. There's not going to be God after him. Every other uh, supposed God that is worshipped is, is a man-made creation, and he's totally unique, and, and he alone is the Savior, he is eternal, and we looked at all that last week. Now this week we're going to focus on the second person of the Trinity, and that is Jesus Christ. Now once you understand and recognize whenever you read the Bible, and it talks about Jesus being distinguished from God, it's, it's talking about God the Father. And most people, if they accept the notion of God, they accept the notion that God the Father is God. The rub comes whenever we assert that Jesus is God as well. Now, you'll see Jesus referring to uh, the Father as being distinguished from, from himself. So, for instance, in the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? He says, pray in this manner. How does he start it out? Our Father. He doesn't say, pray your Father. He says, pray our Father. And in, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus said, uh, and verse 1 says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Again, we see this, uh, this differentiation between the Father and the Son. So, understand within the Godhead, the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinguished from one another. As I said, uh, the rub comes whenever we assert that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, a lot of people reject that. Unitarians reject this. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses reject this. The Mormons do. Jews, Muslims. Uh, a lot of people reject this idea that Jesus is God, but the Bible clearly states that Jesus is God incarnate. He is the second member of the Trinity, and he took on human flesh. Now, John says in, in chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that that's Jesus. And, and, and he clothed himself in order to redeem sinners. Now, now, I mentioned last week that a couple weeks ago we talked in, on a Wednesday night about the Trinity. And I mentioned some foundational truths. And, and, and maybe, um, you're, is anybody here a visual learner? I mean, it, it really helps you to see things. I, if that's the case, I've put together a little, uh, little diagram, I guess you'd say. And these are three foundational truths about the Trinity. And if you deny any of these things, you end up in heresy. So the first thing is there is only one true God. Now, we've mentioned this before, and 
hopefully you can read that. The, the print's a little bit smaller than usual. But there's only one true God. Now, some people think if you're a Trinitarian, you believe in the Trinity, then you cannot be monotheistic. You believe that there's just one God. But that's not the case. See, we don't worship three gods. That's tritheism or tritheism, and that is wrong. Think of it this way. Monotheism speaks of God's being. Trinitarianism speaks of the persons within the Godhead. We use the terms being and person interchangeably, but when, when we talk about God, we have to be very precise in our language. See, the opposite of monotheism is not Trinitarianism. The opposite of monotheism is either atheism, that there is no God, or polytheism, that there's more than one God. Trinitarianism, the opposite of that would be something like Unitarianism. Now, we'll, we'll, just understand those are two different categories. So the first foundation is there's only one true God. The second foundation that we have to, that we have to uh, understand and believe is that there are three eternally distinct divine persons. So the Bible clearly differentiates between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So understand the Father is not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father. And we understand that, right? There's, there's a difference between them. There's a distinction. Now, there are some groups that teach things like Jesus was just a man, and the Father indwelt him when he was on earth, and now the Father is revealing himself as the Spirit. That's a heresy called modalism. Um, if, if you're familiar with the, the way actors used to do plays, they would, they would have a they'd have a mask. And so one person could play two or three different parts. And you probably have seen the, the uh, in a theater, you probably have seen the two masks, like the, the white mask, one of them has a happy face, one of them has a sad face. So the happy face, what's that mean? It's a comedy. The sad face means, what is it? It's a tragedy. It's, it's a drama of some kind. And so what would happen is those actors would, would come out on stage and they would hold up a mask and they would speak, they would be, they would play that part. Then they come out and play another part, and they'd hold up a different mask. Some people see God the Father is doing that very thing, that he's God the Father in heaven, and then he's, uh, then he, the Father is acting like the Son on earth, and now he's acting like the Spirit. That's not the way it is. Okay? And we'll, we'll hopefully get into that just a, a little bit. But the Bible says there are three eternally distinct divine persons. And the last thing, number three, is there is equality between those three persons. Now, I want you to see what happens when we deny any of these truths. I want you to see how foundational they are. If we say, if we, if we strike out there's only one true God, what do we have left? There are three distinct, eternally distinct divine persons, and they're all equal. That's polytheism. That's what Mormons believe. They believe that there are a bunch of gods. Every god has a planet, so on and so forth. So that's not right. If you strike out there are three eternally distinct divine persons, you have, there's one God, and he's... Equal with himself. That's Unitarianism. Okay, that's that's that belief that I talked about before, like like that Jesus was just a man, he was indwelt by the Father, and so on and so forth. And if you strike out this bottom one, that there's equality between those three persons. You have there's only one true God, but then you have other divine persons. That's technically henotheism, which is a subset of polytheism. Those are big words, right? That just means there's one big God and then a bunch of sub-little gods. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They believe that Jehovah is the one true God. Jesus is a God, but he's a, a smaller God. He's a mighty God, but he's not the one true God. 
Okay, so do you see how if we deny any of these three things, it leads off into all kinds of weirdness? Heresy is what it is. So I want you to see there's only one true God, there are three eternally distinct divine persons, and all three of them are eternally equal. Now, you're probably saying, Pastor, you use big words like polytheism and henotheism and, and subset. That's too much. Okay, let's, let's bring it down. Let's look at the scriptures. And we're going to see that a couple of these foundational truths are laid out in our text today. And I want you to pay good attention as we work our way through. And you have to have your mind engaged because uh, the, the Trinity is unique, period. Okay, so when we try to make an analogy and say, this is what the Trinity is like, at some point it's going to break down. And if, there's, if, if God is absolutely unique, nothing's going to adequately represent what he's like. Right? So we can all agree with that? Okay. So, I want us to look at what the Bible says, and we'll just, just see what it says. If you would, stand with me if you can, and we'll pick up in verse 1. This is a text that probably all of us have heard. Some of us have memorized part of it. It says, in the beginning, what's the word? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Thank you. you may be seated. Now let's break this down. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Jesus did not get a start in Bethlehem. He is eternal. Look at the first part of verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of discussion about John's use of the word logos, translated as word, as a title for Jesus. We're not going to delve into that because uh, we, we don't have time. But I just want you to be clear that John, when he's talking about Jesus, when, when he says the word, when he says logos, he's talking about Jesus. Okay, so every time you read the word, in your mind you can substitute Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Now again, when there's a differentiation between Jesus and God, understand there's a distinction being made between Jesus and the Father. So, what does this tell us? Look at the first part of verse 1. Well, let me back up. Every gospel writer puts Jesus in a context. So if you read Matthew's gospel, he writes for a specific reason. And how does Matthew start his gospel? He starts it with a family tree. And we have all those begats. And we read them. We can't pronounce 90% of the names in our own minds. And so we kind of glaze over it. Right? Okay, okay, okay. Let's get to Jesus. So what, what Matthew is doing primarily is he's putting him in the context of being the king of Israel. So... He links Jesus back to David, King David, and then back to Abraham. Then you get in Mark's gospel. Mark doesn't start with the family tree. He doesn't have a birth account at all. He starts with Jesus as a full-grown man. And he starts his account with Jesus' entrance into ministry with the preaching of John the Baptist. That's the context he starts out with. Luke, Luke's the one that we have a historical context. And we have the birth announcement with with Quirinius was governor of Syria and all these different things, puts in a historical context. 
he also lifts the family tree, but he goes all the way back to Adam. And it's like he's saying Jesus isn't just a king of the Jews. He's king for everybody, Jews and Gentiles. He doesn't just stop at Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam. I think significantly Luke is a Gentile writer. He's saying he's for us too, guys. And so John, he gets on the scene, and he's different. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all look about the same, don't they? You have a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same uh, uh, terminology, stuff like that. But when you get to John, everything's different. And so John, whenever he starts out his gospel, he sets the context of eternity. And how does he start? He says, in the beginning, and when we hear that, what do we say? God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Because that's what that's how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God. And so John, it's, it's like, he's different because he doesn't have some of these miracles that the Matthew, Mark, and Luke record. Like casting out demons, he doesn't, he doesn't record that stuff. His stuff, his, the miracles he records is not so much about the power that, that Jesus has, but rather those are signs that should point us to him alone for salvation. And he says that specifically, that's, what, that's the reason he's writing. So when he puts Jesus in the context of eternity, in the context of being their creation, it's like he's saying, you're not going to understand Jesus, and you're not going to understand what Jesus is doing, unless you understand he's more than just a, a man, and he's more than just a man who has amazing powers. He is God. So what is it about verse 1 that tells us that Jesus is eternal, and he's eternally existed as a distinct divine person. Well, look again. In the beginning was the Word. And who's the Word? Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Now, we don't pick this up in English, but the Greek word that's translated as was has this idea of timeless existence. In other words, there was never a point when the Word, when Jesus came into existence. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And what he's saying is, no matter how far back you push the beginning, no matter how far back you push the creation, Jesus, the Word, already was there. Now, what is before the beginning? Eternity, right? Jesus is eternal. When as yet there was nothing, there was Jesus. Before anything was, was ever made, before the, the first angel was made, before the first mountain was formed, Jesus existed. He is not a created being. He is no part of creation. He is the creator of all things. That's what verse 3 says. So the word is uncreated. He's eternally existed before creation. And he's the creator of all things. The word, Jesus, is eternal. The next truth I want you to see is found in the next phrase or the next clause. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, remember, speaking of being with the Father. Do you remember those two foundational truths? Three distinct divine persons, and they're all equal. This is where we really start to have it laid out in pretty plain language. There's equality. There's, there, there's a distinction made. Now, if, if words have any meaning at all, you have to recognize that the second clause of verse 1, there's a distinction between the Father and the Son. 
It says, the word was with God. If I say, I went to eat with Scarlet, there's a distinction between me and Scarlet, right? If I say that I am with you or you are with me, there's a distinction made between the persons. Same thing here. The word was with God. It doesn't make any sense to say God was with God. God's with himself. It says the word was with God. There's a distinction. Now, here's where that second foundation is plainly stated. There is there's distinction made between the Father and the Son. We see this elsewhere in, in for instance, in John chapter 17. Um, Jesus said he's, he's praying, his high priestly prayer. He says, now, Father, now listen to the, the words that are used. Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Again, there's distinction between the Father and the Son. Me, myself, uh, uh, me, yourself, I, you. Those are, those are distinctive terms. So that, we, we, we have substantiated that there's a difference between the Father and the Son. But what about being equal? Look at, look at verse 2 again, or verse 1, second part of verse 1. It says, the Word was with God. Now, to us, we say, okay, let's move on. Listen, and I don't want to, I know I keep going back to the Greek. Uh, R.C. Sproul say, I know a little Greek. He's a tailor. Took my pants to him, and he said, Euripides? He said, yes. He says, I'm in a D's. So, um, I, I hate to keep going back to, to the Greek, because I don't want it to, to be a, you know, like, oh, okay, speak English, please. But it's important to understand because there are some things that we don't pick up in English. So when you look at the word with, it says, he was in the beginning with, or the word was with God. There are three words in Greek that can be translated as with. The first is the word soon. We actually get a prefix in our language, sin, S-Y-N, from this Greek word soon. So we, we talk about synchronizing our watches. I remember back when I was a kid, that's what everybody did, right? They'd be going on a mission. Okay, I have 8.45 now. And everybody would synchronize their watch. Remember those shows? And what's that doing? That's, that there's, there's, a, there's a witness there. If you're in the business world or educational world, you've probably heard the word synergy. That comes from soon, sin, together. And ergon, work. Work together. Synergy. Okay, so this has the idea of being together in a group, in a crowd. The second Greek word is para. And that means alongside or beside someone. And you've probably heard this prefix, in a paramedic. There's somebody who works alongside the medics. If you're in schools, you've probably heard of a paraprofessional, somebody who works by the teachers, the, the, the paralegals are people who work alongside the lawyers. So this is, this is next to someone. And the third word that's used is pros. And this has the idea of someone being face-to-face, a very intimate relationship. And we all know that there's a difference in intimacy between being by someone and being face-to-face with someone, Right? If you go to the Ozark Empire Fair and you're staying in line, you might be fine being para, bubba, 
but you don't want to be across Bubba, right? You don't mind being beside Bubba, but you don't want to be face-to-face. There, there's a, a different level of intimacy. Now, if, you're, if your sweetie is face-to-face with you, that's okay. We're okay with that. But, but that's a different level of intimacy than the person that's beside us, and we get that. Now, the wording that John uses here is he says, the word was prostantheon. The word was with God, face-to-face, intimate fellowship, the closest relationship two people can have. Jesus, the word, had with the Father. So before, you know, some people say, well, why did God create the heavens and the earth? Why did he make people? And some people wrongly say, because he was lonely. No, he wasn't. He had perfect fellowship within the Godhead. He had perfect fellowship, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They were prostantheon. He was with God. He's distinguished from God. And so far, that's all we've seen, right? And most people, if they don't believe in the Trinity, they would even agree with this. Okay, Jesus, okay, we'll say he existed eternally. We'll say he's, he had intimate fellowship with the Father. But here's the kicker. The next thing that John tells us, the last thing in verse 1 is, the word was God. He was with God, he was in close fellowship with God, and he was God. And this is why we believe in the Trinity, because the Bible says it. And because the Bible says there's only one true God, the Father's called God, the Son's called God, and the Spirit's called God, we have to make this work together. We have to understand as best we can how those relationships work. It's, it's not something man came up with. It's revealed in Scripture. So what does it mean that he was God? Well, again, I'm going to go back to Greek. In the Greek, this Greek phrase, only God has the definite, or sorry, only the word has the definite article, the. Now, I have here a copy of the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Does anybody know what group uses this exclusively? Jehovah's Witnesses. When you, If somebody from Jehovah's Witnesses comes to your door and you try to read any version of the Bible besides the New World Translation, they'll say that's corrupted. Because they have their own version of the Bible that they translate, and there are things that they change for theological reasons. I want you to listen. Look at that verse again. In the beginning was the word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's the way it reads in their translation. In the beginning was the Word. Uh, In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Hear the difference? This says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This says, He was a God. And the reason they do that is because only Logos, the word, has a definite article. And so they say, because of that, we can supply an indefinite article. Instead of saying the God, we can say a God. Big difference. And they do it for theological reasons. Now, it is polytheism, it's the belief in more than one God, to say there's a God and there's another God. The Bible says there's only one true God. So on its face, 
their belief is incorrect. But what about grammar? Is, is it legitimate for them to supply the indefinite article? And the answer to that is no. The renowned Greek scholar A.T. Robertson pointed out that the subject is made plain by the article, the word, and the predicate is made plain by not having that definite article, and so it says, was God. So the subject is the word, the predicate is, was God. In other words, the last part of the phrase is descriptive. So in other words, it would be saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and as to his nature, deity. As to his nature, it's God. So here we have distinct divine persons, and we have equality with them. He was and is God. So the word's eternal. He was in the beginning with God. He had perfect, unbroken, intimate fellowship with the Father. As to his nature, the word was deity. As to his nature, his essence, he was God. Remember those three things that we looked at? That's laid out right here. There's one true God. We saw that last week. They're distinct divine persons, and they're all equal. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus is God. He is God incarnate. Flesh did not become the Word. The Word became flesh. Now, I'll just touch on verse 3, not because it's, not because it's uh, the focus of, our, of what we're saying, but because we read it and just want you to see that Jesus is the creator of all things. Verse 3 plainly says that Jesus is the agent of creation. He's the one who brought all about now, there's a lot more that can be said on the topic, and a lot more that can be said on these verses. And I know that some of it probably bogged us down a little bit, but I want you to see what the Bible teaches about the Trinity, what the Bible teaches about God. And so, so as we go out into the world and we start talking about these things, we're going to come across people who are going to object to Jesus being God. They're going to object to the idea of a trinity. And when that happens, you need to listen to which one of these three foundations they're denying. You know what? When they do that, you'll know where to start talking because the Bible says that we should always be ready to give a, a, an answer for the hope that lies within us. And that's what this will hopefully help us do. Hopefully also it'll show us, help us to understand better the depths of love that God had for sinners. When Jesus took on human flesh, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? So he might redeem a people for himself. Again, we're not doing this just so we can have a, a, a Greek lesson. Let me tell you something. Christianity is under attack. It's under attack from the outside, but it's under decay from the inside many times. Now a moment ago I mentioned that Jesus emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant, but he came obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And the reason that he did that was to, to supply salvation for those who believe. Because he took on flesh, because he lived a life, he lived a perfect life. He was tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. And because of that, he is a, a perfect high priest who understands what we're going through. 
He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He is substitute for those who believe. And the Bible says that if you will believe on Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. The Bible says that if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And if you've never done that, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, I, I implore you, I, I call on you to do that today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Again, I understand that this doesn't seem like a real spiritual sermon. There's a lot of details. It requires some deep thinking, but you know what? I'm, un, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the God of the universe may require some extra thought to grasp him a little bit better. God is infinite, and we're not. We're never going to comprehend him, but we can apprehend some truth about him. Maybe you have a person in your life that, that rejects some of this. They reject that Jesus is God incarnate. They reject the Trinity. They believe in some Unitarian belief, they believe in there are more than one God, whatever it is. Those things are false. There's one God, three divine persons, all eternally equal. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that even when we don't understand a lot. And even when um, even when these truths are deep and requires some hard thinking, God, we thank you that, that you have not revealed yourself in a way that is uh, inconsistent, contradictory, Lord, help us to have clear, precise thoughts. Think about your being and, and the persons. God, as we uh, process this today and hopefully this week, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not just throw up our hands and say, well, it's too hard to understand. I'm not even going to think about it. But you'd help us to be diligent to consider these things. And see, it is not some man-made doctrine but it's plainly laid out in Scripture. And there's a point where we have to say it's, it's a mystery. There's a level that I can't understand. Lord, help us, uh, despite our, our lack of ability to understand all that there is to understand about you, help us to, uh, to have a bulldog grip on the truth. And when we encounter those people in our workplace, in our families, in our jobs that deny any of these threats, any of these things, help us to 
and stand firm on the truth that you revealed. And God, if there's somebody here who's never called on the Son, they've never confessed Jesus as Lord, believed in their heart that, that you raised him from the dead, God, I pray that you would draw them today. We ask these things in Jesus' name.